Welcome to the official podcast of the Canberra Raiders. Join us as we go behind the limelight. Welcome to the official Raiders podcast for 2018. I'm Raider Nick, and I'm joined here by Raiders media manager, Benny Pollock. G'day, Benny. G'day, Nick. Great to be here, and uh, I just can't wait for the footy to start. Oh, mate, uh, I think the cricket has failed to fill that void in our lives. Oh, mate, it's just a few days away now, and um, obviously the boys heading up to the Gold Coast, and I can't wait to, to uh, dive in and talk about some footy, which is you know sort of why we're here and, and what we're all about. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to preview this week's round against the Titans. Of course, it's a away game for the boys. We'll go through the side that Ricky picked. We'll speak to injured uh, Raiders hooker Josh Hodson. He'll be joining us for our Raider catch-up, and then we'll have a special Forever Green chat with a very special Raiders legend. I'm excited, Benny. I'm excited. Let's get into it. So, Benny, as we mentioned at the start, uh, footy season's back. How's it been for you? How's it been over here at Raiders HQ, mate? Pre-season training kicked off a little bit earlier this season, so we were back here uh, in training by October, which was remarkable when you look at uh, the same time last year where they they almost didn't come back until the start of December. So a huge change in that respect, but um, the results are showing for themselves out in the field and in the gym. Boys are hitting PBs, their skin folds, their weights uh, are exactly where they need to be to start the season. So fitness-wise, they're ready to go and it's now about their footy doing the talking out there having a look at the boys at the uh, launch last week they are looking trot and terrific blokes like Bordy who have lost a bit of extra kilos a lot of the big boys uh, did extras this year I think there's a real good feel and a real good buzz about this year Benny look they all bought into the fact that they wanted to get themselves into peak fitness before the season starts and every year everyone talks about how tough the pre-season is every pre-season is tough for every club but um, I've noticed and, and we've all noticed here that there's been a real application by the boys to make sure that physically Physically, they're ready, uh, and you know you see guys like Boydie, as you mentioned, um, he's he's hitting targets that um, that he needed to. Um, guys like Junior and Papa and Joey, who got panned in the media a little bit by uh, the way that they um, sort of looked and played during the World Cup, they've all come back since then and they've really lifted. And I think Papa's lost something like 15 kilos or something he like looks that, great. and he's looking great. And you mentioned the boys are uh, they got sprayed in the media about how they took on the bistro there in the Samoan camp. They came back a little early. And get nice and conditioned, be there with the boys, get our hands on the ball. They ditched the buffet for the bicep curls and they came back in. And look, the hard work's paid off. You've only got to look at the way that they're trained uh, and the way that they're looking um, physically. Um, they're ready to go. Well, the proof's in the pudding. It is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The one, not the runaway on the race, waistline, that's for sure. <laughs> Righto, the first grade team to take on the Gold Coast Titans at Seabus Stadium. Of course, they'll go through the back line first at fullback Jackie Whiten. Uh, Cottridge on the wing there with Jared Croker and Leilua in the centres. Rapana on the other wing and an interesting uh, selection here. The halves, Benny, to take on the Titans for round one. Caesar and Williams and Osta on the bench at 14. Yeah, a similar team to what took the park up there on the Sunshine Coast trial. And funnily enough, the same team that Ricky named for round one in 2016 yes. before Sammy Williams was ruled out uh, with, that, with that sickness yeah, like an hour before kickoff. So um, Ricky's obviously um, toyed with this idea for a while now and to have all three halves fit and ready to go. No Josh Hodgson gives Ostow a chance to come on off the bench and make an impact. The engine room mate at lock. Elliot Whitehead, the back row is Tarpany and Papali and of course uh, the front row is Junior Paulo, Shannon Boyd and making his Raiders debut, Benny Saliva. 
Havali. One to watch, I think. He's, he's really put in a, a strong effort. And we saw how good Tonga was during the World Cup. He was a big part of that uh, spine in their team that made it through to that World Cup semi-final. So he's um, going to be one to watch out for. Joe Tarpany was probably one of the players at that World Cup tournament for New Zealand. And he played in the back row where he played most of his footy at the back end of last season too. So Ricky's giving Elliot the opportunity to start in the middle and, and play some big minutes, which will be good for our rotation. On the interchange bench, speaking of your rotation, as mentioned, Austin playing at four. Then we've got Bateman, Louis and Soliola. The best team we can put on paper, obviously, minus Hojo, which we'll speak to shortly. Mate, I'm feeling good about it, Benny. Yeah, I'm excited. Can't wait to get up there. And without further ado, the inaugural Raider <laughs> catch-up, injured Raiders hooker, international Josh Hodson. Hojo, how are you, mate? Thanks for having me, mate. It's, uh, it's good to be here, especially on the first show. Hopefully it goes well as... Uh as well as you're expecting. I'm not sure with me on the show, but hopefully we get off to a good start. Hodjo, we were just talking before we started. You, you find yourself probably busier now than what you are when you're playing. But between training and uh, club commitments and promos and things like that, you, you, you're running a full book. You, you're almost working full time. Yeah, it's been a bit full on, actually. I was talking to my missus about it um, during the week, actually. She was saying you probably way more now than what he was when he was when he was training so I think it's just been really important for me and um, in the process of coming back in terms of just watching all the training and making sure um, you know most of my stuff's done in the morning and then I get to watch the boys train in the afternoon so I know you know if they make mistakes or they adjust anything that I can I can kind of pick up on that um, at the same time rather than trying to learn it all in sort of four weeks of training full time with them. It's been an extraordinary thing for you of course it's, you've been injured Ricky's got you travelling with the boys uh, he's almost got you in there helping out with the new nines that have come to the club it's been pretty transparent in, in NRL blokes like Greg Inglis last year saying that when he got injured and he was in the rehab group they can fall into a bit of a hole get a bit depressed about things and Ricky's got you right in there how's that role been with you and that responsibility of having a say in the nines and really helping out with some of the boys out there yeah this um, it certainly helped me uh, in terms of you know my spirits and, and making me feel part of a team and I suppose to the people at home and the people that are listening um, you, you kind of think well why wouldn't you feel part of the team but it's just it's such a different environment if you're not out there on the training field and you're not playing uh sorry you're not throwing the ball around with the boys you just you just kind of don't quite feel a part of that group and it's, it's a really strange feeling and it's probably a bit silly really but it's just it's just how it is and uh you know to have that um little bit of extra giving to the side in terms of helping the dummy halves and and uh and doing a bit of uh, drills and things like that is, is certainly helped me you know keep out of those as you said that the darker days when you're a bit down in the dumps about things and kicking stones and you know there is always them days but i think you know if i do have a bit of a day where it's, everything's getting a bit boring and it seems like i'm doing the same old rehab i just try and keep my out of the way because it's important you know the boys don't see me kicking stones so. you've, you've been asked a, a thousand times during the pre-season about when you think you might return so we're not going to put a date on it but um, you know you're giving yourself um, every opportunity to, to come back early I, I told the other day you ran a 1200 in just over four minutes is that right yeah 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 four minutes four so that was a new personal best for me yeah so i've got a pb on one leg so i don't know what's happening there <laughs> but now nah, it's been going really good i think that's probably because a lot of my training at the minute is just long distance i can't really do um, much pace and, and change of direction stuff as yet um i did a little bit yesterday actually which which went well so um but yeah that's uh it's, it's obviously little moments like that that give you a big big morale boost the acl in- acl injury is one of those ones i suppose that you just can't rush with, you need to take its time to get it back. I mean, even if you're feeling yeah. really good about it, you, you can't rush yourself back because there is that risk of doing it again and then 
all of a sudden you're back to where you were yeah. you know a few months ago if you do it again it's minimum 12 months the next time yeah. so you, you for the sake of you know thinking oh, i'll push it two or three weeks early if you do it again it's then they don't even look at letting you come back for another 12 months so so that's just dampened my hopes every time i turn the tv on you're running around so this is one of them things that you you literally can't rush no matter how good you are it's minimum six months anyway so you've watched how things have panned out over the pre-season. Yeah. Saliva Havili is getting the first crack at the number nine jersey. What can you tell us about him and, and what does he bring to the team? I think he'll. Um, I think. I think what Saliva will do is he'll do his job and he'll do it well. I think. Um, I don't think anyone should be really expecting him to be really flash and uh, and putting too much pressure on him. I think he's gonna he's gonna do a really good job for us and I think he's really gonna build into the role. I think it's a new team for him um, and he's he's starting jumper and he's gonna punch out as many minutes as he can. So I think for for Saliva he um, he'll he'll just do his job and he'll do it well. Um, I think he's he's really strong. He's got great skills. Um, he's got good good vision in terms of which way to go when you know probably we've, we've got such dominant half sometimes you get them both calling for the ball so he's got good vision in terms of picking the right options so I think just it, as the weeks go on I'm really looking forward to seeing him progress the more he plays alongside our, our bigger boys especially and learning how you know each other play because you can do as much training as you like but until you play games you don't really get that feel for each other. Do you kind of hang back and let them do their thing or do you come in there and add a bit of your experience or do you try and take the best out of what they're doing or? Yeah I think a bit I think a bit of both I think Quite a lot of the times I'll sit back and watch, uh, especially in the first few weeks. I didn't really say too much to them. I tried to just get a bit of a gauge on them and um, just had a bit of a chat just about general stuff, not not just footy. Um, and then I just kind of watched what they did, um, especially off the ball, little 1% things, just see what they do and what they could maybe be a little bit better on. And um, and I think it's you know it's also important you don't try and talk too much and give too much information. They've already got a lot of information at a new club, so just little tips here and there. And then once, you know, my, my theory, is once you master it a little bit then we move on to next stage and then the next stage rather than you know giving them 50 million things at once so. your teacher job for you soon mate <laughs> one thing I noticed Hodjo at the season launch uh, the boys the group looking real happy they're happy being placed here in Canberra mm. living in the place you've been here for a few years now Aussie Josh now yeah. Aussie Josh Australian <laughs> citizen oh not liking that name tag I'm still English <laughs> I, I really like it man I think you know, I, I I hope people don't just say don't just think I'm saying it just because I'm speaking in the media. But I really love Canberra. I think you know. I remember when I, I first came here, and um, a few of the boy, few people who I'd played with back um, in England had said there's not much there. You might get a bit bored or whatever. And you know, since day one we we came here, me and my missus, we we've loved it. And I think um, quite a lot of the boys that come from other teams as well say the same. They always have the wrong impression, and when they come here, they actually love it. And I was actually speaking to Jared Kennedy, who used to play over us um, and went to Manly last year, and he was saying just you don't realise how lucky you are to be in Canberra and have everything close and you know you, you, and have such the boys there we're all tight knit because you all live you know really 10 minutes away from each other to 15 minutes so he said you don't realise how lucky you are until you kind of go so I think I always take something from people like that especially who've been around our environment and then gone somewhere else not many positives that come out of injury but one for you that does come out is the fact that y- your wife Kirby is mm. is pregnant with yeah. uh, your second child your uh, little brother or sister to George do you know if it's a boy sister, or a girl yeah, sister little girl, yeah. Yeah. little girl yep so um, congratulations so you've got a week she's got a week to go so at yeah. least 
in one respect. Are you going to go to the Gold Coast or are you going to hang back here and, and be here? Yeah, I've got to hang back here. She's been a bit touch and go for the last couple of weeks, loads yeah. of little sharp pains and stuff, so I thought against it, especially like when we haven't got family here and stuff, it's a bit too tough. So um, Our auntie's coming out for, uh, I think, the day after the baby's born, so we're booked in. We're having a caesarean, so my missus is booked in for a week on Friday, so me, me, um, my auntie-in-law comes out a day after that. As a player, having a child, obviously it affects you in, in many ways in, in your life. How did it affect your football in regards to, I mean, I know a man, when he, when he becomes a father, he knows that he's got to bring home that woolly mammoth now for his family. Nick's, by the way, he's expecting his first with his, with his wife, so he's, oh, um, he's, he's, he's trying asking, to give a bit yeah, of a personal yeah. advice yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to get some tips as to what's going to happen. That's what got the knife out of you, mate. I'm taking notes. So, cat's out of the bag, all right? So, everything's, I've got so much more purpose in my days when I wake up in the morning and go to bed. There's so much more purpose in my life now yeah, knowing yeah. that I'm about to provide for an extra one Benny's got two you're expecting a second I'd love to know your mindset in regards to how you approach your football now yeah in the past people have said he's got a little girl coming that might might soften him up what's your headspace been like since becoming a father and your approach to the game now I think um, one of the biggest things was my you know my pre-game ritual it used to really stay the same I wasn't like superstitious or anything like that but I always used to you know more or less have the rough setting me or a good night's sleep the night before and you know in the morning I'd like to relax and have my breakfast stuff like that and the kid is just that doesn't happen anymore forget doing was, anything for yourself yeah, yeah, our, we we, um, we had the baby uh, we had George um, I think it was before the Manly game uh, and I've, I think I had five hours sleep and we went and I played I played alright and we won and ever since then I just thought you know everything else is just in your mind which Manly game was that? Uh, it was was at home. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one where Junior bumped Jamie Bure into yeah. the next hemisphere in sixteen sixteen in around two thousand sixteen. Yeah. yeah. So we had Manly at home. So George was George was born like the night before. So ever ever since then, I just thought you know if whatever happens, just get on with it. Be a bit mentally tougher and just just get through your day. So this current group of players is is probably the biggest I've seen that are family orientated. Like I. I I can only name a handful that are single that don't yeah, have yeah. either partners or wives or kids. Uh, is that is, does that change the way that the boys approach life? Um, I think it does and it doesn't. I think, you know, a lot of ways... Um, and sometimes, you know, me and the wife was actually talking about it yesterday. We, you know, we'd often just go out for dinner at last minute. Like someone would ring, say, you want to go for dinner at like eight o'clock? We'd go, oh, yeah, we'll come along. And, you know, and, uh, we tend to spend a lot of time with people that didn't have kids. Whereas now we've got kids. When people say, do you want to go for dinner? It's like seven, eight o'clock. Yeah, no, it's five o'clock. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not really going to happen. So you, you tend to find yourself spending probably more time with people that have got kids. So it kind of changes your circles a little bit. But in terms of, you know, foot is a bit different. We're all around here every day together, so you get a lot of time with the boys still. But in terms of like their partners and their families, you tend to more keep with the people who've got kids because it's a bit more relatable. So it's it's tough to manage. Um, sort of outside of footy, just making sure you're still interacting with everybody else and that. Can you give us your best dad joke? Dad, oh, I've got a few. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one. Um, let me just take the the bad language out of it. <laughs> now, two monkeys are in the bath, and one goes, ooh, 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 ooh. and the one goes, "We'll put some cold in then." <laughs> oh, well, mate. Um, look, all we can say to you is, you know, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing an awesome job getting yourself back on the field. You're a great role model for the club off the field as well, part of the Club 82 leadership group. 
all the best for the rest of the rehab and look we want to see you back on the field as soon as we can thank you Matt appreciate it thanks Ojo cheers thanks for having me on the Behind the Limelight podcast we present Forever Green we talk to players from the past that wore the lime green jersey with pride passion and plenty of courage this week we chat to a man that played 244 first grade games which included three grand final wins in 89, 90 and 94. He played 23 origins for New South Wales and 21 tests for his country, many of which are skipper. We catch up with Forever Green number 88, Laurie Dale. Not too bad, mate. That's all right, mate. We'll kick straight in. Loz, look, uh, 1987, uh, you came to the club. You are a young fella at June, playing there for the Diesels. What was your experience like getting signed by a Sydney club? Uh, was it exciting for you? Yeah, it was. It was a um, coming from the, the country. I never actually thought you'd be good enough. And um, when Don Ferner at the time with the Raiders showed some interest in me, I was very keen. Uh, it was close to June. It wasn't too far from home. Um, and I really liked what the Raiders were about. And... Um, for me, it was a community club. Uh, Canberra wasn't uh, too dissimilar to, I suppose, a June I I didn't feel as though I'd fit in uh, down there in Sydney straight away. So, no, it, uh, it turned out to be the, the best decision of my life. There's lots of competition in the centres there. Mal was there. The late Peter Jackson was playing out there. Obviously, Mal was in and out of the team with his, with his broken arm injuries. But by 89, you really cemented yourself in the centres there. Uh, what was that experience like for you, which resulted in an origin birth for you? Um, 88 was probably the first sort of season I had and got my lucky break when Mel broke his arm. And then I was able to stay in the team all that season. So, um, And then 89, I um, was able to, to uh, establish myself as a, as a centre with Mel. Uh, we played in such a, a, a great team. Um, and it was certainly one of the highlights of, of my career, uh, being able to play in that team and going on and playing uh, representative football and obviously winning the comp. Going into the finals, you just grew extra legs as a club. Uh, yeah, we did. But we're always confident in our ability while other people sort of didn't really rate us um, too highly, to be honest with you. I think that, um, you know, 87, we'd made the grand final. 88, uh, we were two games away from making the final and, and injuries, uh, injuries certainly played its part there. Um, but then, you know, 89, we got on a bit of a roll and we got confident with each other. And we just felt as though that um, you know we could do something in the competition, and as it turned out, we went on that roll, and we just found ways to win, and and that's what happens when you're a confident football team. You just find ways to win. Once you ran out on the field at the SFS for the '89 Grand Final, did it take you by surprise the pace of the game, the energy around the game? Yeah, I think it was uh, one of those ones where you um, you know in the build-up to the game, no one gave us credit, I suppose, and. and it was all about Balmain and, you know, why Balmain were going to win. Uh, people tended to think that the Raiders were just making up the numbers. But uh, within ourselves, we thought we could we could certainly win. Uh, so the build-up, all about Balmain and nothing was said about us. We went out there and just sort of attacked it from, from the get-go. And even though we were down 12-2, I think, at half-time, we were still fairly confident, or very confident, in fact, that we could still go on and win the game. There was a pro-Balmain crowd there, but it seemed like everyone was starting to warm towards us as the, as the game went on. And That'll go down in history forever. And obviously, Big Jacko crossing over the line. What was it like when you saw Steve Jackson? Of course, you're exhausted. You're in extra time. 
And you see, you see Steve, Jacko Jackson, can you remember what you were feeling? What, what hit you at that time when you saw him do that? Yeah, I, I remember him sort of just picking up the ball and, and sort of running. And, and then I thought, oh, well, this is our opportunity to maybe score some points. And, uh, you know, he kept running and you know, he got through one guy. And then it was like, oh, he's going all right here, Jacko. And then he got through another guy. And then the further he went and the closer he got to the line, I was thinking, geez, he, he might be able to score here. And oh, I get it. The way he, he, he bounced off about five or six people, I'm not quite sure how many it was, but it, it seemed like that many. And just to find you know, the strength and the power to go and cross, uh, cross the line and score and, and set up that try uh, was remarkable. It's one of the, the great grand final tries, I think. I think it was his first try that year in first. Wow. Uh, so what a try. Obviously, the celebrations were great. We will mention the fact that you're known for dropping off the trophy, Loz. <laughs> yes, driving through the streets of Queanbeyan, and, and um, I thought the guy was sort of starting to slow down, so I relaxed and took my arm off off the trophy and then accelerated again. And, and when he accelerated, I felt myself going. I also felt the trophy going. I didn't want to embarrass myself. So I, uh, I released the uh, the arms from the the, uh, the trophy and the trophy um, fell out the back and I snapped um, the base of the trophy. <laughs> and um, it wasn't in particularly good shape at the time, but uh, we ended up getting it through the celebration. So everything was great. We got it fixed. Good. I remember being a young kid at the Civic Reception there in the, in the city and Mal was carrying the trophy with a big towel underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the towel was wrapping around the base to keep it all together. 1990, uh, you come out of the blocks. Uh, he's win the Panasonic Cup against Penrith. Wonderful year for the club. Minor premiers in all three grades. You take out the premiership, you go back-to-back against the Panthers. What was it like going that next level, knowing that you were the hunted, raising the bar? That Raiders monster grew even larger. Yeah, well, it did, and and I think that's when you establish you know your legacies of a football team is when you're able to um, you know dominate for a period of time, and the Raiders certainly did that uh, from the late '80s uh, through the mid '90s. For us to get, to go back to back, I think that was it was more relief after that one than, mm. than excitement, to be honest with you. I think because the whole year we're expected to win, and sometimes when you've got those expectations, it's difficult. Players responded really well. You know, they knuckled down and they, they worked extremely hard. For yourself, uh, Kangaroo Tour call up in 1990, icing on the cake to a wonderful year. That would have been such a great experience for you. Yeah, as a young guy, um, watched uh, the Kangaroos on telly and never thought that I would have the opportunity um, to go and play for Australia um, over in England. And, you know, when I got the opportunity, it was just something that um, that uh, you always remember. You always think, wow, you know, I've got the opportunity now to, to play for Australia. I never thought I'd get that um, chance um, to, and to be selected in, in the Kangaroo Tour. It was pretty special. We roll on to 91, Loz. Uh, you move into the 5-8 role. Uh, but in the number six, it almost like you took all your skills that you had as a, as a centre three quarter and converted it with that creativity. You had that big, strong running game. Was that just you getting the ball and being instinctive or was it kind of thought through with, with the coach, Tim Sheens, at the time? Yeah, no, I think that was sort of my strength as a player was my ability to, I suppose, run with the football. And, and Ricky's strength was more to guide the team around and get us into your position and with his kicking game and, and things like that. So we sort of formed... Uh, a wonderful combination, uh, mm. given our strengths and, and weaknesses, I suppose. And, and not many people sort of um, can have that, that that combination. So we were we were quite lucky that we came through together and we complemented one another. Yeah. And I knew that you know, for me to have success at that level, then I needed to be a running five eight, and that's exactly what sort of I became known for. Who had right of call between you and Ricky if you wanted the ball? Uh, would there be an overruling there, or was whoever boxed Ed Walters uh, would deliver to first? No, we, 
few times we used to argue a bit on the field about who was getting the ball, but um, no, most of the time it was um, uh, Ricky would tend to tend to get the ball. If he didn't, he'd blow up at Steve Walters. <laughs> so, it was quite funny because uh, being sort of two dominant sort of players, you know, you, you always want the ball and you always think that you've got the, the, the best opportunity to, to see something and, and, and go for it. But, um, uh, being, the, being the number seven, someone had to have that responsibility of being in charge of the team, and that was that was Ricky's domain. So if he he um, wanted it, he always got it. I remember Ricky actually once said, "I used to blow up at Loz, Loz used to blow up at me, and Mal used to blow up at both of us." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And Steve Walters would be blowing up too, because <laughs> if, if he didn't give the ball to one of us, then we'd be into him. Um, you have those type of blow-ups every now and again, but it's how you handle it. And I think the best thing for us was. Because we're all good mates off the field, you could you could blow up and, and have a bit of a. You were comfortable uh, doing that. You know, a chat, yeah, and then all of a sudden you, you get back into it, and, and you didn't take it personally. So '91, you get to the GF. Uh, look, it was so emotional. I remember being an eight-year-old kid in Queen, being in tears after that loss. But what the club went through with the adversity, with the salary cap dramas, I think a lot of you guys were all playing injured. I remember Glenn Lazarus was playing with injections. Ricky had his groin issues. By the end of the year, you just looked so busted. You made it to the grand final, three GFs in a row, and just lost it towards the end. Oh, it was, it was most definitely a positive because everything that we'd gone through, and there was a number of guys. I remember I did my hemi the week. It certainly goes down as one of the, the better years we've had because it's very difficult to do. And, um, you know, we just showed a lot of guts and commitment to one another. And that was sad, uh, but that's the reality of uh, professional sport or the start of professional sport. Unfortunately, um, after that sort of little period, uh, we lost some of our uh, our uh, players from that uh, successful sort of uh, late 80s, uh, early 90s sort of period. 94, uh, a beautiful year. Is all bound together behind Mal's back to do it for Mal? Yeah, and we always thought we could win it. Uh, we didn't play... Uh, well in the semi-final against the Bulldogs. So we felt as though we let ourselves down and let the cause down. So it was always going to be, um, you, know, you know, the Raiders were always going to be difficult to beat. But I suppose the other the motivation was now it was going to be his last game and he'd done a lot for the club. And sort of we spoke about that as a, as a group and, and what we could do without including him in those sort of conversations because, you know, he would have been not wanting everyone to worry about doing it for him. It would have been more about... Everyone else, you know, and the team and the town. You know, once you put things together and it comes off, you're very satisfied. And, and that's exactly sort of how that sort of period sort of turned out. And that, that game in particular, we were hard to beat because we all knew that, um, you know, if we, we can't come up here and we play well, it's going to be difficult for the opposition to beat us. Towards the end, uh, there in 2000, yourself, Brett Mullins, uh, Dave Ferner, all had a, a swan song farewell at home against the Roosters. That was the ideal finish for you, wasn't it, at home? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, Canberra being such a big part of um, our lot. You know, for us to uh, spend so much time there uh, with so many wonderful people, it meant a lot to us. And you know, to be able to to play at home in, in that final game was a, was a massive thrill for all of us. And you know, we were just very thankful that, um, that you know the people uh, turned up to to support us and were able to sort of you know put our best foot forward and and hopefully uh, give them a display that. They could be proud of them, walk away going that, um, you know, whatever they were in the Raiders jersey, they always they always uh, played to their potential or tried to play to their potential. You finished your playing career. How did you feel? I mean, you accomplished so much in the game as a player there, Loza. For me, I got everything out of my myself with my ability. I enjoyed every minute. 
and moment of it. No regrets at all. You know, you can look back at the end of your career and, and have regrets, but no, for me, I played it in the right spirit. I competed every time I went out there and tried to be the best player I could be, and, and uh, hopefully I've contributed to be a, a part of, uh, you know, that, that Raiders family. And, and um, you know, one of the things I do know is that they're a, they're a great club and a team that uh, I support and just want to wish them, you know, all the best, and hopefully they can win, go on and win. So the Forever Green set of six, we'll start with... Uh, so what do you do for work now, Loz? Uh, I work uh, on the Big Sports Breakfast, which is a, a radio sports program, um, which is uh, 5.30 to 9am um, weekday. How are those uh, brekkie hours doing for you? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> Getting used to it? They can be struggle, mate. They can be a struggle. What's your favourite memory as a Raider, Loz? Oh, it'd be hard to go past the 1980 grand final. I think that that, um, that brought everyone together. And as you mentioned earlier, with uh, Dean Lamb saying it gave the town a soul, uh, it gave the town someone to be proud of and place to be known other than a, you know, a public servant town. What did it mean to you to, to wear the Raiders jersey? Oh, it meant everything. Oh, growing up, I wasn't a, a, a Raiders supporter, uh, but I knew of the Raiders given the close, close proximity they were to, to June E. But when you play for... Canberra Raiders, we were able, able to establish our own sort of DNA, I suppose, and, and what we wanted the club to be about. Uh, they were only in its infancy when, when we first went to the club. Who was your favourite teammate and why? Oh, look, I don't think I had one favourite team. I don't think there was plenty of them. Um, I think the fact that they just, you know, we, we just had a really good team of guys that were very humble, uh, come from great backgrounds, um, all hardworking, no egos. You know, the boys really didn't care about who was getting the credit as long as we're winning and doing the best you possibly can. Do you keep in touch with many of the boys these days? Yeah, I still keep in touch with a few of the boys. Um, it's always good to uh, run into them. And the, and the thing about you know, the guys is that even though you mightn't um, contact them, but when you see them, it feels like you never left, you know? What was your funniest moment as a Raider? Oh, funniest moment? Uh, the trophy? Oh, yeah, probably the trophy. <laughs> it always gets remembered. What advice would you give to the current players? Oh, I think they've just got to continue to work hard. I think, you know, nothing nothing in this game is easy and you've got to work extremely hard. You've got to be meticulous in your preparation, you know, what you do on the footy field. And it's not what you do while you're at training. It's what you do away from training, which is probably more important. If you want to be a professional footballer, work hard and get the best out of yourself. And if you do that, you'll have no regrets at the end of your career. Thanks for joining us, mate, on the Forever Green Chat. Thank you very much for having me and uh, hopefully the Raiders will have a successful 2018.